Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Our House. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. I don't know that you guys want to hear that music. It kind of makes you want to dance, doesn't it? Believe me, you do not want to see that, though, okay? So I'll spare you that. Uh, it's great to be here. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors. And, you know, as I was thinking about this morning and how special child dedications are, and I love being here on a Sunday when uh, the families come up and commit themselves to raising these children in the Christ-following home. But, you know, I thought it might be good to offer up some uh, tried and true parenting advice just to kind of get us started. Is that okay with you? You with me? Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, okay, I think you're, you're with me. Now, this advice is especially practical for the parents in the room, but it's also, you know, really important for any of us who have children in our lives. And so, you know, to make sure that I, I could give you this morning the very best advice possible, I decided to go back to the good old days. I mean, a time, you know, when life was simpler, less complicated, because we know, right, that that's when, you know, parenting advice was at its finest. Are you with me? You agree with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Yeah. I mean, back then, that's when it was at its best. I can't tell if you're with me or not. Okay, yeah, okay, please be with me. All right. So, uh, you know, I found some, uh, some old parenting advice. And uh, it was funny because where I found it was in actually some old advertising of all places. But these are some, you know, really, really solid advice. So uh, how about this timeless truth right here I found? I thought this would be helpful. Yeah, you know, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. Yeah, you know, nothing like filling your kid with processed sugar to get them off to a great start. Are you with me? Or how about this one? I like this one. Yeah, kids need the energy candy gives. Didn't you know that? I mean, come on. I mean, that's just good common sense right there, isn't it? I can't tell you how many times I tried to convince my mom of this truth when I was growing up. All right, and then, you know, finally, my favorite piece of parenting advice is is from this one right here. Yeah, when all else fails, give your kid a beer. I mean, the ad says right there, it's good for young and old alike. So it must be true. Can you believe this is like, this is real stuff. I mean, these like actually were advertisements. Whew, pretty scary, huh? Oh my goodness. But, um, you know, I think we all know that this is not good advice. Please hear me again. That is not good advice. All right, don't go and say, oh, my pastor, you know, he abdicates underage drinking for my kids. No, no, no. In fact, this is crazy. (laughs) So how about instead? What do you say instead we look uh, to God for wisdom when it comes to the children we love? Uh, As Ian said, you know, today we continue our series, Our House. And through this series, you know, we've we've really been challenged to focus on our most important relationships. Uh, You know, we're imagining our, our lives as sort of a house with each room representing different relationships. And, you know, last week, if you were here, we, we talked about the front door and how the front door represents boundaries that are so important when it comes to our relationships. And then in the dining room, those are the people that, you know, are like family or are close to being like family, people that we spend a lot of time with that we care about so much. And then in the bedroom, that's, you know, the, the person with whom we, we long to experience intimacy. And then as we go to the kids' room, you know, that's where we find the children in our life, the kids' room. And I don't think I have to convince you. I think we all would say, you know, we long to have relationships in our lives that are fulfilling, that that are full of joy and love and laughter. And so through this series, what we're trying to do is really look at God's wisdom for help in building just those kind of relationships. 
And so today, you can probably tell, uh, we're talking about the kids' room. We've got the pictures on the door right here. And, uh, you know, the kids' room isn't just for parents. I mean, as a church, you know, just a few moments ago, right, we, we all agreed, didn't we, that we were going to come alongside these families who brought these children on stage, and, and we're going to support them, and we're going to encourage them as they attempt and desire to raise their children in a way that they should go. And, and so this message is for all of us, all right? Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, people who have friends with kids. And so let's take a look, if we could, for a few moments this morning at the wisdom that we can find from Jesus in an encounter that he had with some of his followers and some children. Okay, as Jesus was traveling uh, from place to place, they stopped in a city called Capernaum. Say that after me, okay, Capernaum. Capernaum. All right, Capernaum. And, And Jesus finds his closest followers in an argument among themselves as to which of them was gonna be the greatest, now, I have to believe that Jesus was probably just kind of like pounding his head like this, rolling his eyes and, and thinking, oh my goodness, they just don't get it. How could they possibly be arguing over who among them is going to be the greatest, right? But look what happens next, all right? Follow along, if you will. Mark chapter 9. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he He said to them, you know, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so his closest followers, Jesus' closest followers, okay, so men that had spent weeks and months, maybe even years at this point with them, are arguing over who among them was the greatest, and Jesus, as he always did so often, turns the tables on them and says, hey, you know what, the path to greatness is to welcome a child in my name. Now, you have to understand, okay, that in Jesus' day, I mean, children were completely marginalized. I mean, they had no power, no status, and few, if any, rights at all. I mean, children were viewed as far less than important as adults. I mean, a father had so much power over his children that he could choose to actually recognize a newborn and raise it, or he could just cast it aside. I mean, just just be done with it in an instant. And and it's kind of hard, I think, for us to even comprehend this kind of attitude towards children, because it's not that children or that parents didn't care for their kids at the time. It's just that childhood wasn't considered an honored stage of life. Its only value was in being a training ground for adulthood. And so I love this because Jesus takes a child considered really not to be very valuable at all, puts that child in front of his disciples and he says, hey, you want to be great? You want to know what greatness looks like? It's not about power. It's not about position. This is what it looks like right here. You welcome and make room for a child. You welcome make room for a child in your life. That's what it means to be great. I want you to be the kind of people who welcome little ones like these. It reminds me of what Wes Stafford said in a book titled Too Small to Ignore. He wrote these words. He said, every child you encounter is a divine appointment. Think about that. Every single child you encounter is a divine appointment. So what does it look like to, to welcome a child? If, if every time we encounter a child is a divine appointment, what does it look like to welcome that child like Jesus welcomed that child? Well, I, I think the first way we can welcome a child is to embrace a child. 
And see, I, I love how this passage says that Jesus took that child in his arms because it, it wasn't just about physical affection here. No, I mean, Jesus was making a point about the significance that children would play in his life. I mean, he was saying that children need to be a priority. They're not just an add-on, not just an interruption, not just a life enhancement. Um, there are times, he's saying, when children are gonna absolutely need our full attention. And notice who Jesus is talking to here, okay? He's not just talking to parents. He's talking to his disciples, his followers. I mean, this is more than just parents. He's saying, hey, we all have a role to play when it comes to embracing little ones like these. In in the book Sticky Faith, Kara Powell explains that it's crucial for kids to have adults other than their parents as people of influence. Did you know this? This is fascinating stuff. In fact, research shows that every kid needs five adults other than their parents who have a positive influence in their lives. Five adults other than their parents who will have a positive influence in their life. Carol Powell calls this the five to one ratio. And so I'm telling you right now, you know, if you're a parent, you need to be thinking about who, how can I put my kids in places where they can be around five other adults who can have a positive influence on their life. And if you are someone who has children in your life, you need to be thinking, okay, maybe I could be one of those five in a child's life. I mean, how cool is that? That you could have that kind of influence. You know, there, there, are fair, there are a few school teachers that I, I remember much about uh, growing up as a kid. I probably said something about how much I paid attention in school. But I can't remember one teacher when I was in elementary school. His name was Mr. Miller. And Mr. Miller, for, for whatever reason, took a special interest in me and a friend of mine and uh, would spend extra time with us just working on projects. He didn't have to do that. I remember he even actually spent time with us outside of school, took me and a, a friend of mine, and you know, my parents interviewed him, I think did like 10 background checks on him, but let us you know, go spend a Saturday all day, and he took us like to this go-kart place. I mean, we had the best of time, and I thought it was so cool that, okay, here is a teacher, all right, uh, an adult who, who is expressing interest in me as a kid, and, and like, he doesn't have to. Very cool. You know, I, I think about my, my Aunt Jean and Uncle Guy. You know, they're still living and just, just a great couple. And, and to this day, you know, I can still remember them coming to my kindergarten play. I mean, this is a long time ago now. <laughs> I was the lion in the circus and an award-winning performance without a doubt. I mean, they, they drove all the way from Iowa. I mean, it seemed like another, another planet to me at that time. And I thought it was so cool that, you know, other adults took an interest in me. As a little kid, I mean, it just meant so much to me. But looking back now, I wouldn't have thought of them as five to one. I didn't know anything about this five to one thing, of course. But, you know, I think they were some of the five to one people in my life. And why do I remember them so well? Because there was something special about another adult taking an interest in me. I think as a kid, somehow you kind of know that your parents are supposed to do that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, my parents are supposed to. But when another adult does that, I mean, it just has impact almost like times 10. And, you know, it not only means a lot to the children, it also means a lot to the parents of those kids. I can tell you, when we moved to the city, my family and I, about six and a half years ago, to help start new locations of community on the north side of Chicago and help, you know, kind of get more churches planted in in the city, uh, there wasn't much of a stucco, a student ministry, student community for our kids. My kids at that time were entering junior high and high school age. But I can remember a couple of young adults, Jake and Jamie, who would come over to our house on Wednesday nights and you know, begin to form a little student ministry there. And oftentimes that little student ministry didn't include anyone other than my own two kids. Week after week, month after month, they were just relentless. They came and it meant so much to my kids. But you know what? It also meant a ton to me because I think they were being some of those five to one people in my kid's life. So here's the challenge, folks. 
embrace the opportunity to impact that child. Think about what it could look like for you to be one of the five. Maybe it means volunteering in Kid City or, or student community or coaching a, core, uh, a sports team, a kid's sports team, or, or volunteering to help you know, sponsor a club, maybe becoming a big brother or big sister or, or volunteering with, with uh, safe families. I mean, you could be you know, the person who inspires a, uh, and encourages the dreams of a, a future athlete or, or, or artist or accountant or, I don't know, some other career that begins with the letter A. Help me out. What could it be? I don't know, you know? But think about the opportunity you have there. Embrace a child because every child you encounter is what? Every child you encounter is a, yeah, divine appointment. Think about that. All right, another way we can welcome children like Jesus did is to understand, to understand. You know, to be a positive influence in a child's life, it takes more than just time, but also requires understanding a child as a child goes through the different phases that a child goes through over the course of their lifetime, right? And we know they change, right, as they, as they grow up. And, you know, there are questions at different phases that a child is asking, and almost always those questions center around the word I, because they're trying to figure themselves out. They're trying to, to kind of understand their identity. And so, you know, for preschoolers, I mean, the, the big questions include questions like, am I safe? Am I okay? Am I able to throw a really good tantrum? If you've had a preschooler, you know that's true. It's not really one of the questions. <laughs> well, I mean, we can help preschoolers develop a sense of, you know, security and confidence by, you know, setting safe boundaries, affirming good choices and, and, you know, celebrating their accomplishments. It could be as simple as when they've set the table or, you know, learned to ride a tricycle or, or, or maybe just being a good friend to somebody. And we need to affirm them, but we need to be very specific in how we do that. So notice new skills that took considerable time to develop, acknowledge character qualities like generosity and kindness, that's what our preschoolers need. And then when it comes to elementary age, you know, the questions become, you know, am I worthy of your attention? You know, do I have what it takes? Do I have any friends? And in this phase, it's so important that when it comes to elementary kids, that we affirm what they're interested in. And yeah, that means, you know, putting down the smartphone, turning off the TV, all right? And giving your full attention to knowing a child and, and really seeking an interest in what they're interested in and, and their growing knowledge and curiosity, you have to encourage that. And so, you know, if you, if you know a child that, that loves sports, I mean, take that child to the library and check out a bunch of books on that sport or maybe biographies about people who were good in that sport or, or better yet, play that sport. And if you're not good, that's probably even better because they would love to just destroy you, right? You want to make an elementary kid's day, let them beat you in a, in a sporting event, right? If you know a child that enjoys cooking, I mean, find a recipe that you can, you, know, you can cook together or join a cooking class with that little one. But it's so important. The key to this age right here, okay, is be interested in what they're interested in. And if you watch and look and listen and ask good questions, you could figure that out. And you can become one of those five to ones in that person's life. Well, as kids enter middle school, these invisible questions become more philosophical, and quit kids, you know, they start wondering, you know, who am I? You know, who do I like? You know, where do I belong, right? The middle school years bring about, you know, a lot of change, physically, emotionally, and socially. And more than ever, middle schoolers, they need adults to show up consistently in their lives to help them discover their potential. Absolutely, desperately need that. 
You know, I, for me, when I, when I was uh, a parent of a middle schooler, which has been, you know, several years now, my kids are older than that, but I found that, you know, for whatever reason, driving them in the car was a good time to connect with them, particularly my daughter. And so I would do whatever I could to, to try to be there and, and drive my daughter home from school. And I would always ask her about lunch, you know, what she ate, who she ate with, what they talked about. And I'm sure it was annoying for her at times, but I could almost gauge how her day went based on what happened at lunch, what they talked about, who she ate with. I could also find out if she was only eating junk food. <laughs> but those, those moments were, were, were really important. And you know, if you're a parent, I mean, dinner together, I think dinner together is a great time to connect. I mean, studies actually show that kids who eat with their families, check this out, are less likely to drink, smoke, do drugs, get pregnant, and develop eating disorders. The University of Michigan found that the amount of mealtime kids share with their families at home was the single strongest predictor of high academic achievement. Isn't that interesting? Now, if your kid's getting poor marks, don't think eating together all of a sudden is gonna make them a straight-A student, okay? No, their academic challenges are likely genetic. Just face it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I can tell you, some of my best memories growing up were uh, times around the kitchen table. You know, we, my mom and dad worked pretty hard to, to make sure that, that dinner time was, was pretty special. And, you know, we had to change the schedules because, you know, my brother Dave and I and my sister, we had all sorts of activities going on, practices, rehearsals, all sorts of things going. But we tried to make sure that mealtime uh, happened. And, and one of the habits we sort of developed over time was we had church on Sunday morning and on Sunday night, okay? So we'd go Sunday morning, we'd come home for a little bit, then go back on Sunday night. And then after church on Sunday night, we'd come home and just sort of develop this routine of sitting around the kitchen table and eating crackers and cheese on Sunday night and just talking. And it was just a great time. It wasn't any big hoopla or anything particularly special. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to discuss this. It was just like, you know, how was your weekend? What's happening in the week ahead? But I have tremendous memories of those times together. And, you know, if you're a parent, there's still opportunity here, Right? I mean, take, take a middle, middle schooler out for ice cream. What could be better than that, right? Take your pastor out for ice cream, for that matter. <laughs> I mean, go to a concert, work on a project together. And then ask questions about, you know, their interests and their friends. Affirm them when they make good choices. Yeah, I mean, look for ways to get to know a kid. Look for ways to really understand their world. Because here's the payoff, folks. See, if you have been... You know, if you've been really good at investing in all of these stages here, all right, you might become one of those highly regarded adults in the life of a high school student. And uh, boy, those are crucial times because then you can help them when the questions become even more abstract, like, you know, why should I believe? How can I possibly matter? What will I do? You know, kids in this phase, they might act like they don't really want you around, but they, they want you around more than they would ever let on. And when they do want you around, they really need you to be around. They need you now. So parents, Stuco leaders, kids city leaders, coaches, employers, you will be a person of influence in a teenager's life when they begin to think that you really understand them. Does that make sense? So you got to be good at asking good questions. You got to get good at really and truly listening intentionally. Affirm their journey in those crucial years because every child you encounter, every child you encounter along the way is a divine appointment. Is a divine appointment. Well, there's one more way to welcome kids into our lives like Jesus welcomed them. And I would say this one may have more impact than any of the others, okay? And it's to model your faith. Yeah, model your faith. 
Because kids in every one of those phases that we just saw, I mean, they need to see firsthand the grace and truth and love of Jesus lived out by real people. And how they see adults living this out is gonna have a much greater impact than anything we would ever speak. I mean, Jesus said, right? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Kids need to see their parents and other adults growing in their faith. Kids need to see us modeling what it means to talk to God through prayer. They need to see us, you know, digging into scripture together. They need to see us giving and being generous and serving. You know, a while back, we wanted to make sure our kids could kind of see what it meant uh, in our world with us and our family to be generous uh, towards God. And so uh, we decided to pull all the money out of our um, Monopoly game and we put it in stacks on the kitchen table based on the areas where each of the dollars goes each month, all right? So, you know, we took out enough money to equal a month's worth of income, and then we had one stack for the rent, one stack for transportation, one stack for clothes, one stack for food, one stack for going out to eat, and then we put the stack on the table for giving back to God. And the kids' eyes kind of got big, and they're like, wow, you you give that much away? (laughs) And I think what they were really saying was, now I know why I have to pay for part of my own college costs. But it was our attempt to kind of bring them into the conversation a little bit and realize, yeah, generosity is going to be something that we value and hopefully they could see our faith lived out. And I just got to say, one of the best places for your kids to see or any kids to see faith in action is right here. Because when we come together here on Sundays, on the weekends, you know, they can see us celebrating God, growing through worship and teaching. They can learn the importance of Christian community when we gather together in small groups. They have the opportunity to see us contributing and giving back to God. And one of the best ways to model your faith is to make Sunday celebration a priority. And if I could just kind of kind of push you on this just a little bit, let me just encourage you that that needs to be something that's a priority weekly, if at all possible, because they need to see that consistency. And not only do your kids need to be here because you need to bring them here and it's for the growth of your own family spiritually, but there's other families and other kids who need to see you and your family here. Never underestimate the power of your kids seeing you live out your faith. I can tell you, one of the most powerful images I have in my mind of my own like childhood is my parents gathering together in a small group. They had small groups back then too, and they would get together with other people their age and you know just talk about their faith, pray together. I mean, I still have like, it's one of those images in my mind. I can see it. I know the place where I was sitting and where they were, and and I could see the light kind of shining from the kitchen into that place where they were gathered. It's a powerful image of my mom and dad living out their faith. Never underestimate the, the power of your kids seeing you live out your faith. Well, before we wrap this up, I want you to hear a story. Uh, from someone here at Community who has been welcoming kids into Kid City, all right? Check this out. Each and every Sunday for over 25 years. Let's hear Mary's story. My name is Mary Stewart, and I've been serving at Community in the nursery for 27 years. I'll never forget my first Sunday morning at Community. I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I felt like I needed church. I saw an ad in the uh, Naperville Sun. I remember just walking in and being so warmly greeted. And it was Dave's message that really uh, struck a chord with me. And uh, ever since then, I've been coming back. Started meeting people through Georgia Kirko. She got me involved in a small group and uh, she got me involved working in the nursery. I would say uh, if anybody is interested in working in Kansas City, I think you will find it very, very rewarding. I really like seeing it when the um, 
see the infants that I've had in the nursery. I, I see their parents serving in church. And then also you'll see as their kids get older, they begin serving. Being here with no family in the area, all my family is back east, um, I, I have a, a community of friends that I have, I have met through the church, and I have been friends with these people for over 20 years, and I keep making new friends as um, people come and um, volunteer and, and work with me in the nursery. I think what I liked about serving in the nursery was meeting new people, uh, just getting to know the families and just uh, just enjoying just enjoying taking care of babies and infants. What I think is just a, a fun little thing for me is just knowing when a mom comes in or and dad with their first child how a little bit nervous they are about leaving them and uh, just trying to make them feel comfortable. The environment we try to create in the nursery is uh, just comfort for the baby. Let them know that they are in a safe place if they um, if they need to be held, we hold them. If they like sitting on the blanket, we like to surround them with toys. And we have, we have some nice young girls that will help out, and they'll lay on the floor and play with the babies. We do whatever it takes to, to make the child be happy. And I enjoy seeing the little ones coming as an infant and then just ha as they grow up through the various stages of, you know, rolling over, able to sit alone, pulling themselves up, and then the saddest part of all is walking comfortably on their own when they leave us. It's very sad saying goodbye to the kids, and it's nice that they uh, graduate to Wiggle Way, which is right next door, so I like to pop over and just see how they're doing over there. Really makes me smile is when they come back and visit after you know, they're, they've left the nursery stage. I love that. That is so awesome, isn't it? And you know, I mean, that's personal for me because two of the little babies that Mary held in her arms a number of years ago were my own. My son's 20 now. He's a sophomore in college. My daughter's a senior in high school. She's going to be going up to college this fall. And you know, Mary welcomed them as little babies and made them know that church is a fun, safe uh, place to be. And you know, my hope and dream is that someday as they go off and maybe start their own family or, or go to some other church that you know, they'll follow Mary's footsteps and welcome other children uh, into a faith community just like she did them. And let me just say, you know, our Kid City and our student community teams are always looking for people who want to welcome kids like Jesus welcomed kids. And so we'd love to talk to you if you'd like to help out in any way. But I want to do something that's just kind of embarrass some folks a little bit, but I, I think it's appropriate today that we do this. I'll tell you what, if you work with kids in any way who are not your own on a regular basis, okay, would you just stand up? If you work with kids in any way who are not your own on a regular basis, just stand up. Maybe you serve in Kids City, stay standing. Yeah. Maybe you're a teacher, you coach or volunteer, maybe with like Community 412 or another non-for-profit. Maybe you've adopted or, you know, provided foster care, or maybe you're working with safe families. Let's give it up for these folks. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. 
I mean, just imagine if we all decided today that, you know, we're going to go out of our way to welcome a child whom God puts in our path. I mean, imagine that. I mean, can you imagine the difference we could make if we decided today, you know what, I'm going to embrace a child. I'm going to seek to understand that child's world, and I'm going to model what it means to live a Christ-like life. We could change the world in a single generation. I mean, we really could. I mean, that's, that's what's at stake. And remember, every child you encounter, every child you encounter is a divine appointment.